Hi, my name is Genevieve Gluck, and I spoke with Caitlin Roper about the publication of her new book from Spinifex Press called Sex Dolls, Robots, and Women Hating, A Case for Resistance. Caitlin Roper is the campaigns manager for the Australia-based organization Collective Shout, which works to end the objectification of women in media and society. In her book, she presents several common arguments made by proponents of sex dolls and sex robots and sets about debunking them and criticizing them. One of the most common arguments that is made in favor of these technologies is that it is beneficial for men and can alleviate loneliness. But Caitlin Roper argues against this and presents the case that these technologies actually allow for the further objectification of women and in turn can escalate and normalize violence against women and girls. She argues that these technologies represent the literal objectification of the female form and as a result are a manifestation of extreme misogyny. Caitlin, nice to be talking with you today. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. I really love and uh, respect your work. So it's, it's really great to be chatting with you, Genevieve. Oh, the feeling's mutual. Um, we're going to be talking about your book about sex dolls or sex robots today. And I'm, you know, this, this book is really kind of a hard read, um, to be honest. Um, and, and I can only imagine, you know, how difficult it was for you to research, but, you know, congratulations on, on writing this. It's so important. And, uh, before we start though, can you tell everyone a little bit more about your work and your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm campaigns manager at Collective Shout, which is a grassroots campaigning movement against the objectification of women and the sexualization of girls in media advertising and popular culture. And that's in Australia. And we've been running for a little bit over a decade now. So I've been in that role for just about since the very beginning. And what else? I have had an interest in this particular topic, sex dolls and sex robots. I've been researching for the last few years and wrote this book um, just over the last few months. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a radical feminist. I'm yeah, I'm not really sure what to add. <laughs> um, well, you've done some work with um, opposing the sex industry as well, right? The uh, prostitution. And... Right. So you have a, a lot of background knowledge and experience with the sex industry in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, tell us about the process of, of writing this book and why you decided to do it. Basically, I started researching this topic a few years ago and I was, as I was reading the academic literature in this space, and there's very little, there's very little empirical data. It's mainly kind of speculative, like the potential uses for sex robot technology and the ethical issues with it all. But a lot of what I was reading, I, I was really staggered because it was so pro-sex robot with all about here's all the potential benefits for men, although it was often, you know, couched in a very gender neutral way, but it was just about here's all the benefits, here's how sex robots will make everyone's lives better. And here, you know, people could use them for this and this, they could be the answer to loneliness or people who are disabled or elderly or all these, you know, supposed benefits to sex dolls and sex robots. And there was very little, if any, consideration for the implications women and girls and that's with the exception of Kathleen Richardson um, feminist anthropologist who's been doing some great work in this space but other than Kathleen it was very just pro-sex robot and some of the ideas um, that were expressed were just so so far-fetched and so so disconnected from women's reality and just, I was really staggered by what I was reading. And a lot of it, it sort of sounded like men's rights activism kind of content. And like this idea, for example, that, you know, men didn't have, 
men suffered from sexual deprivation or sexual inequality and that meant they couldn't have sex on demand you know sex in the way they wanted it when they wanted it all those things and that meant that men you know were experiencing inequality and so I was really having read all this stuff I thought people need to actually know what what is going on they need to know these are the arguments being made they need to understand the level of misogyny at play whether that's in, in the trade itself from the manufacturers or from the buyers or from these the academics and the pedophile rights advocates who are all really pushing the development of these dolls. So I thought people just need to know what's going on here. It's, I can't even, yeah, I just thought this has to be, has to be out there for people to know what's going on. Right. And let's start there, actually. Let's start with the pedophile activists and the push to normalize what you refer to as child sex abuse dolls, which are exactly as it sounds. You know, these are dolls that are made to resemble children, very often little girls. Um, And, you know, in many countries they are illegal, but they're, they're as you've been documenting, there's um, there's an, a black market in it. Well, not even quite such such a black market. It's sort of out in the open uh, online in some ways. So, can you talk about that uh, industry, uh, the rationale behind making these dolls? Sure. So, over the last few years, as I've been researching this topic, I've come across child sex abuse dolls. <clears throat> these are sex dolls modeled on the bodies of children. And overwhelmingly, these are made in in the likeness of of little girls. I've seen a a few uh, modeled on the bodies of little boys, but they're almost all little girls. And this can be little girls or toddlers or even infants. And these products are marketed for men's sexual use and they come with penetrable orifices uh, that accommodate men's penises. So uh, what we're seeing is that these products are being well, advocates for the products are arguing that they could be used to prevent child sexual abuse. This notion that if men have access to replica children to enact their fantasies of rape and sexual abuse, this will somehow prevent them from acting out their fantasies on, on real children. But I mean, this whole concept that, you know, if men can practice, this will, this will help things. If men can practice on replica children, that that'll be a solution or that, if we legitimize and uh, men's sexual use and abuse of little girls, or if we sexualize and objectify girls and, and portray them as appropriate objects for men's sexual use, that again, this will somehow help rather than put children at risk. And from what I've uh, found as well, I've been documenting over the last year or so, cases where men have been found in possession of child sex abuse dolls and this notion that it's, you know, a doll could prevent the abuse of a real child, it, it doesn't work like that. It's it, it's not one or the other. What we're seeing is men who are charged with child sex abuse doll offences are almost always sexually offending against children in other ways. So almost always they're found in possession of child sex abuse material. This is images or video of children and babies being tortured, abused and raped. And in other cases as well, they're uh, sexually offending against kids in additional ways, whether that's contact offending or secretly filming children and even incorporating actual children into their child sex abuse doll use. So there's been some cases where men have taken photos of real children and put them over the faces of their doll. So they're uh, a child in their care or a child known to them and they're still involving them in their use of these dolls. So this argument that they could somehow prevent abuse, apart from the fact that it's just completely nonsensical, it's not borne out in reality either. It's all it is doing is creating a new way for these men to prey on children and even children they don't necessarily have access to. So children who they may not be able to be in a position where they can physically abuse them, they're still you know, implicating them in this. They're still violating them in that way. Right. I remember um, a few months ago, there was a case of a teacher in Australia who was using these and putting images of his students' faces um, on, on over top of the, the sex abuse doll and filming it. So, yeah, I mean, there, there is that argument that's being made um, by certain organizations that are saying that this will prevent offending. Um, actually, could you 
could you clarify about that? You know, who are these organizations saying this? Who is advocating for this? Well, there are a few academics uh, who have an interest in pedophilia and sexual abuse who argue that these dolls could be used in that way, but they're really bolstered by groups like um, Prostasia Foundation, who has an interest in preserving men's access to these dolls. So they argue, again, that they could be they could be helpful, they could prevent abuse, that, that, that sex toys like any other, and that it would be inappropriate for, uh, for laws to be made against them because it's the government interfering in people's uh, personal and private use of sex toys. That's what they've said. I mean, obviously, the difference here is that this is not just a sex toy like any other. It's intended to replicate and to look and feel like a little girl so that when men use it, they can enact the embodied fantasy experience of raping a child. So there's a big difference there. But these groups are, uh, they're putting uh, funding into research for what they call fantasy sexual outlets for pedophiles. So they talk about, you know, being motivated by wanting to, you know, prevent child sexual abuse, but it seems to be much more about uh, preserving men's sexual rights, uh, rights in inverted commas, but men's access to virtual child sexual abuse material to sex dolls, to all these things. Right. And I think, um, well, as well, you know, a lot of these child sex abuse dolls are coming from Asia or countries where the age of consent is already quite low and not well enforced or established. Right. But I think that people often can immediately understand why child sex abuse dolls are so disturbing, um, unethical. And yet to make that leap over to why it is that that these dolls modeled ostensibly off real or adult women, uh, they have some trouble understanding why those those arguments are parallel arguments, which you've kind of laid out really brilliantly in your book, which is, you know, again, the the male sexual right. And so how do uh, sex dolls or sex robots harm or objectify women? Essentially, the sex doll is, these are replica women and they are replica women that exist to be sexually penetrated. So it's objectifying women, it's dehumanizing women, it's reducing them to the status of thing or object that exists to be fucked. So the idea that it's just harmful when, when we do it to children, obviously it's, it's harmful when we, when we um, have these child sex abuse dolls and encourage men's sexual use of children and their abuse of children. But the, you're right, there's this disconnect there where people, a lot of people will say that's terrible when it happens to children, and of course it is, but they don't necessarily make that same connection when it's adult women. It's because, well, my take is that it's because we kind of largely accepted the objectification of women we think that it's, it's it's almost unremarkable now that women are sexually objectified and dehumanized and portrayed as though they exist for men's sexual use so I think yeah there's just that logical thought doesn't continue but if we can acknowledge that objectifying children and portraying children as appropriate objects of men's sexual desire and use if we can see that that's a problem that has although that's connected to real world consequences and harms for children, then we need to understand or make the connection for women as well. You know, we talk about rape culture and men's violence against women. We know from the research that objectification is foundational to men's violence against women. So those attitudes, the belief that women are things, that women exist for men's use, that we're less than human, all of these things contribute to fueling men's violence against women. So if we're concerned with you know, rape culture or men's violence against women and the, the whole range of ways that women are oppressed and abused and exploited, then we have to make the connection between you know, sex dolls or sex robots, which are premised on the objectification of women and on dehumanizing women and reducing women to things to be sexually used by men. Yeah, and and you know the word objectification. I feel that sometimes people don't truly appreciate the the meaning of that. And when you you have written about how these objects, these dolls, um, are the literal objectification of women. So just to you know, kind of to reiterate that 
turning a person into something that you use for a function that that has a, a purpose and use for someone else. This is what you kind of have written about in the meaning of objectification. And when you see some of these things, like you've written about the torsos that are just um, really just women's midsection area that, that men can, can purchase, um, feet for certain people with foot fetishes. I mean, just the, when you looked at these images, it's quite shocking and, and your descriptions of them as well, that I really struggle to understand how people cannot see the degradation inherent to this. Um, but you've also mentioned some of the comments from men in the MRA communities, uh, which were quite shocking about sort of replacing women, that women's only function is to be used in this capacity. So can you explain some of that overlap that you had mentioned before about the, the MRA men's rights activist logic being extended here? Yeah, it's very much this argument that, well, I suppose as women have achieved some sort of political gains, as women have a bit more power, they can say no to relationships with men, whereas in decades past, they, they really had to rely on men for their economic survival. So now women have a little bit of power. So it's like these sex dolls and robots are as a backlash in, in response to women's gains. So there's very much this dominant narrative um, among men's rights activists uh, that sex dolls should be seen as a threat to women, that like if you don't fall in line, you can be replaced by a better, hotter, more compliant woman. So uh, a lot of these MRAs, they really welcome uh, the sex dolls made in the likeness of women because they see it as this is women losing their power, their only power they have over men, and that if sex dolls exist, then they don't need women anymore because, as they see it, women's only function is to provide sexual gratification for men. So they like that these dolls are, are always sexually available and like they can't say no, that they don't have personalities or minds of their own it's really the lack of autonomy is a selling point to these men they basically want to have unlimited sexual access to women without actually having to have the women around so yeah these attitudes of misogyny are just really you know it was as I was doing this research it was quite um challenging to just be exposed to a lot of that but but again these same sort of attitudes you know expressed not so overtly uh, in a lot of the academic research that I've been reading, because when you have these arguments that men need to have sex, that they're deprived if they can't um, have sexual access to a woman's body, and that even they might become, you know, they might become um, uh, risky, they might engage in risky behaviours or sort of uh, become a threat or, you know, in terms of like social instability, if they can't have women made available for them, therefore they just need a sex robot so they can have their needs met and that'll be fine. But it's very much this idea that men have a right to sex. They are entitled to sex. And by sex, it means, you know, sexual access to women's bodies. And if they can't find that naturally, organically, then we have to literally produce new replica women that they can have access to. Because the idea that men would just, maybe go without, not have what they want or not have sexual access to a hot replica woman on demand, that they would be suffering and that they would be oppressed or something. So it's these same ideas that the, um, the entitlement, the, the male sexual entitlement, and just the unwillingness to consider that maybe, you know, maybe men shouldn't just have access to sex on demand, Like maybe, maybe that's not the only possible outcome here. Right. And it's not even sex, is it? I mean, as you've described, it's, it's, it's not sex at all because sex requires another person to be there. So even, well, first of all, some of those descriptions, advertisements, comments that you, you documented in your book were extremely chilling to, to read. I found some of those parts to be some of the most difficult to read where, you know, they're basically referring to women as, as meat bags um, and saying that, that these objects are better than women. Um, but, um, you know, also it, it's not actually intimacy. It's not sex. It's being marketed as though in some ways it's 
these things are a replacement for women, but also that they can soothe people's loneliness in some capacity. But I, I have a hard time understanding how that could be when you're completely alone, right? It's, it's just nonsensical. I mean, the idea that sex dolls, I mean, again, we can get into the language of sex dolls, like what they're really using them for. It's not sex because it's there's no mutuality. There's no reciprocal relationship there. It's men sexually penetrating a female shaped piece of silicon. Like there's no intimacy there. There's no human there. It's just essentially it's masturbation into a replica woman. But um, what are we talking about? We're talking about um, the... I'm sorry, I've just totally lost my train. Well, all of these kinds of like selling points, the the way that they're marketed, at that they're actually not they're not authentic in the sense that it's not sex, that it won't solve loneliness, that um that men have a right um but you know, so yeah, the loneliness. Uh that's very much the pitch um from a lot of academics and even just regular people. Sometimes I have the conversation, they say, oh, "Okay, yeah, but what about, you know, if if a man just can't have anyone else, if he's not going to have a partner otherwise, if he's just really lonely, like, does it really hurt? And I just, I struggle with this concept. Why, why have we just internalized this idea that, you know, if a man is lonely, then a sex doll, like an object w- would ease loneliness. It's like this idea that you can own an object, like anything, like you could own a football and now you'll be less lonely because you own an object. You're still alone. So these dolls, robots can't provide any actual companionship. They can't, they can't address the loneliness, but they are available for sex on demand. So that's what I'm saying is like, is it really loneliness that we're trying to eradicate or is it men's desire for sex on demand? But a lot of these academics as well are talking about this could be, you know, the companionship and the solution to lack of human intimacy, but it's, it's crazy. Cause it's like this, there's nothing intimate here. There's, there's no human, there's no intimacy, or even that that these dolls could be used to, uh, at, you know, for sex education or to teach consent. And again, it's this idea, why would we think that that men penetrating a female-shaped piece of silicon that is lifeless, why would we think that would be a good or healthy or appropriate model of sexual relationships with, with other humans, with women who are not just semen receptacles, but who are human beings and who have personalities and desires and feelings. And so it's very much, I feel like a lot of these academics have not thought this through. And just as a comment, I I feel that if I were a man, I would be very insulted by the implication that my loneliness could be resolved by using a, a piece of silicone like that's insulting <laughs> and anyway what about women's loneliness so so women require greater have greater needs for our social capacity than than men I mean that's kind of insulting isn't it um but <laughs> but tell me a bit about how you see these as tools for grooming men towards greater sexual violence so uh, I did include one chapter where I I looked at what these men were doing with the dolls and this is based on what they're sharing in sex doll owner forums. So they have these discussions with each other, they share photos and things like that and talk about their dolls and what they do. One of the big things they do is they use their dolls to create porn, but they also use their dolls, they also, I mean, not all of them, obviously there's a range of different behaviours in different people, but I did very much see a trend where, or two trends, I'll start with the first, where uh, dolls were used as as training, so to practice uh, for sexual relationships with women. So some talked about, you know, that they would actually practice on their dolls to improve their stamina or to master certain sexual acts or positions or things. And they sort of thought that, you know, they were practicing on a doll and they were going to get confident and they go and be able to go and have a relationship with an actual woman and, that, you know, having trained on the doll. The other thing uh, that's a little bit more um, overt is the tendency for these men to enact violence and torture and BDSM acts on their dolls. So um, a lot of the time these men are sharing photos documenting what they were doing. They talk about uh, ways they could make it seem more realistic, like they wanted to find ways to use makeup maybe to to um, put marks on their dolls that would appear to be bruises 
or they wanted to um, they, one man expressed um, that he wished his doll would struggle a little bit but so what these these men are doing is they're practicing scenarios of of torture and even predation on dolls there was one man who called himself the hooded bandit and he would take photos like a series of photos to sort of tell a story and there were scenarios of predation on on these replica women dolls and it was like you know for example oh I'm waiting in the house they're just about to come home from a night out and I'm here waiting and then he would document every step with photos and it was the same sort of scenario where ultimately like it's this scenario of rape or predation but then the doll loves it and she's enjoying it and look how much she's enjoying it and of course all the other forum members are are encouraging this guy oh that's great that's so hot or oh, I love that the doll's doing this or that so it's kind of giving them the opportunity like a female body like a replica female body to practice on and you know this is also reinforced with an orgasm so it's really it's fueling violence against women I know some people would argue oh it's better that they use a doll but again there's no evidence that it works like that they just take out their their violence and their aggression on a doll and that there's no overlap into their interactions with real women in the world because what they're doing is is practicing and learning techniques. Like even one man talked about how he was trying to tie up his doll. And then he's like, okay, I've come back again. That didn't work very well, but I've tried it this way. That's a bit tighter. She can't escape now. So it's like you actually have this female body to practice on, to practice ways of degrading and torturing and tying up women. And the, the notion that this will somehow prevent men's violence against women, you know, when they're relating to this female bodied object that exists for their sexual use and enacting scenarios of violence and abuse and degradation why would we think that this is good for women right and it strikes me that it seems as though rape is the only crime that is thought to be preventable by 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 practicing it um you wouldn't for example say rehabilitate a convicted murderer by giving them a gun and a, a fake uh, a fake doll person to shoot or kill, you know, and say, oh, this is great because he can act out his desires without using a real person. That would be insane. Anyone would think that that is an insane form of treatment. And yet when it comes to women, when it comes to male sexual desire, it's seen as so natural that men have to have sex. And again, I still can't stop thinking about how insulting that actually is to men who, you know, <laughs> that, that, that they should be seen as, you know, kind of uncontrollable, just, just wanting to have sex all the time, needing to have it. Um, so you'd, you'd also mentioned in some ways that the pornography, that the racism in pornography comes through in the way that these uh, are designed. Uh, can you talk about how, first of all, the connection between pornography there as well as, as the racism? Well, well, I think sex dolls really function as a form of 3D interactive pornography. So men, rather than, you know, they're watching and they're masturbating while they're consuming, they can, they can sort of more actively participate. And um, it's those same dy dynamics that we see in pornography where the man is human subject and the woman is object or thing. So again, it's, it's just a different way, like maybe an escalated way of engaging with pornography. But in terms of uh, the racism, uh, when I, I mean, may, many dolls are fair-skinned. Uh, there's, because there are obviously so many doll, sex dolls out there, there is going to be a range of what's available. But particularly with um, the way black female-bodied sex dolls were portrayed, it was very much relying on these racist, racialized, sexist porn tropes of black women, uh, fetishizing their bodies, using derogatory language about them, and um, positioning them as, you know, always up for sex. So very much relying on those same sort of pornographic stereotypes of, of Black women. And in your experience in talking about this issue, um, 
you know, what has the general reaction been when you try to talk about the the harms of, of sex dolls? That's a great question. I think when we're talking about sex dolls modeled on children, most people can see that that's, that there are real world harms there, that that's not a good thing and that they are pretty disgusted by that. Sex dolls in general, it's, it's a bit mixed. I think a lot of people sort of think, oh, that's a bit weird, but I don't know if someone else likes it, who am I to, or the other thing is kink shaming. We wouldn't want to possibly kink shame. We wouldn't want to possibly critique a practice that degrades and harms women because men like it. But it's mainly either kind of the, oh, that's a bit weird, but I don't, you know, want to make a judgment or maybe, you know, that's not my thing, but maybe some men like that or something. And then um, there's also the argument, which I hear a lot, which is, isn't it better though that men have access to a, a sex doll or a sex robot than abuse a woman in real life? And this is the same argument that's been made to justify you know, men's access to prostituted women in the sex trade as though they're not real women, um, but as though men need to access some woman, someone as like a human shield in order to protect other more worthy women. So it's the same sort of argument being made. Uh, again, it's like everyone has bought into this idea that men have to have sex. They have to have it in the way that they want it. They have to be able to have it on demand. And it's, almost unthinkable that maybe men would not just get to have you know sex on demand or sexual access to women's bodies there's just the the notion of male sexual entitlement or the male sex right is just so deeply entrenched I think that most people can't really imagine an alternative where men just don't get what they want right and why you know, why is it so important for us to talk about the things that people do in, in private? You know, you've written a bit about how there's the separation of the private sphere and the public sphere. Can you explain why it is important to kind of look more deeply at some of these sexual practices that go on in private? I think what we're seeing a lot of now is sexual practices that are premised on violence against women or degrading women. And they're sort of protected or shielded from any critique because they're branded as a kink. So it's sort of like someone likes this sexually or someone gets sexual pleasure from this, often a man. Therefore, we can't criticise it because that's shaming. So it shuts down the discussion about how women are actually harmed by this. So for an example, uh, sexual choking or strangulation, as it's more appropriately called, where you know, if we express something like, you know, this is harmful to women, it's, it's got all these risks, it's a major red flag for future homicide, uh, that it's, you know, can cause stroke, brain damage, death, even weeks or months later. If we talk about the risks and talk about why this may not be great for women, that, you know, it's the popularising of a sex act that could lead to women's death, then we're told, oh, you're kink shaming, or, you know, we can't talk about that because some people like it, or, so it's very much this, it's a really effective way of shutting down these discussions, but it means that we're not talking about women's experiences of violence and coercion and the role of pornography in feeling how we're having sex or how men are treating women during sex. So it's really, it's, a, it's not a great thing for women or it's a terrible thing for women when we aren't able to have these discussions and make the connections between the wider porn culture and the messages from porn culture and how they seep into our personal relationships and our intimate relationships, because they are. And I think a lot of women are experiencing, you know, having bad sexual experiences or even with their partners or women that they're with, because this has become so normalized. And this idea that you can't critique it, you can't object, or if you, if you don't like it, you're vanilla or sexually boring. So I think it's, what it's doing is it's silencing women and preventing them from describing what is happening to them, which is terrible for women, but great for men who enjoy hurting women. Right. And I find this 
whole idea of, you know, the public versus the private to be so strange because, you know, obviously you can't separate society that way. It doesn't work like that. You know, the, the decisions that each individual makes, whether it's in public or private, contributes to society as a whole, right? And there's also that argument that I hear sometimes about fantasy, that it's it's just a fantasy. It's not real. Uh, how would you respond to that? I really love... Um... Andrea Dworkin's response to that. She talks about, she says, fantasy happens in the mind. And once you're acting out that scenario, it's not a fantasy anymore. It's a real act in the world. So, you know, in the case of sex dolls, when men buy a sex doll, when they perform sex acts on a doll in the form of a woman or a little girl, they've moved, moved past the realm of fantasy and into the realm of behavior. I mean, maybe the fantasy is that it's a specific little girl or a specific woman or that it you know, it will relate to them back, that there's a reciprocal kind of relationship. But like the sex act is real. So when men are using sex dolls and robots or child sex abuse dolls, you know, modeled on replica women and replica children, then then this is not separate and distinct from reality. It is reality. Right. And their brains respond um, and their bodies respond in the same way. I mean, they're they're their bodies don't know the difference, you know, and, and I find that that argument also can be extended to pornography because it highlights what are called mirror neurons, which gives your body the experience of, of as though it were, I mean, it is real, it is real for your body. And it's also very irritating when people say that it's just a fantasy. Well, if it's just a fantasy, then why do these dolls have to be as real as possible? Why is there the drive to make them look as realistic as possible and to market them as such? If you're just saying it's not real, which one is it? Because <laughs> it looks to me like you want it to be real, um, but then you say that it isn't. Uh, I recently saw um, a, a a video, a news article about a man who had convinced his girlfriend to have one of these dolls made in her likeness. And he started pimping her out on OnlyFans, having her do things with this doll that looked like her and dressing her in the same clothing. Um, uh, and that's, there's that porn category as well that you've talked about where as you had mentioned, the BDSM scenarios where they're having these dolls posed in various ways, um, but also the making of these dolls in the likeness of actual women and children. Can you tell me about some cases of that that you have seen? Yeah, so there's been a few cases that I outline in the book where women have found out about sex dolls made in their likeness. And this was, you know, without their knowledge or consent. One woman uh, who was an Instagram influencer, she received a message on Instagram from someone saying, hey, this sex doll looks like you. And she said she didn't really think much of it. She was like, okay, whatever. But then someone else got in touch with her later and said, you know, this sex doll has been given your name. And on this doll forum, the creator said it's made to look like this woman and gave her Instagram link. So, you know, it was clearly meant to be her and even to be seen as like, oh, it's a compliment or something. But again, you know, for this woman, the violation of knowing that her likeness had just been stolen and used to make a replica doll of herself for strange men to use and to have sex with and to enact any fantasy they wanted was obviously deeply distressing. And there was another woman whose story I, I um, outline in the book. She was um, a singer and had a little bit of a um, public following. And she received a message from a man with a photo of a doll he had made of her and so he sent her this photo and said, I love fucking my, her name, doll. And she said that she was just physically ill because, you know, as you can imagine, the distress of knowing that, that this has been done to you, you've been exploited in this way and violated. And I've even seen cases, or I've seen um, some online forums where men have shared photos of other public figures claiming to have made dolls in their likeness. And essentially the, it's not about because I really want to, you know, I'm really attracted to this woman or something, but it's it's about the degradation. It's like, this is punishment. This is to humiliate this woman. This is to violate her and kind of get, you know, get the dominance back. Like she spoke out, she's done something. I'm going to show her who's boss because I'm going to have this doll. I'm going to use it and I'm going to degrade it. And there's nothing she can do about it. So it's really, it's very much about the humiliation 
and the violation of women. And we're also seeing cases where news articles reporting that sex doll manufacturers are getting all kinds of requests, requests for dolls made in the likeness of someone's best mate's girlfriend or a next door neighbor and things like that. And there's no indication that they're turning these down. So we have to wonder how are women, how have women already been harmed by this, by having their specific likeness used or could they, or, you know, there's just, there's so many questions that come with this as this industry grows and as it's sort of more normalized and, and, you know, it becomes more mainstream, how are women going to pay the price for this? Right. And it kind of strikes at the very heart of, you know, identity and what should be for sale, what should not be for sale. Uh, Are we going to see these objects made on the likeness of dead women because they don't they no longer can object to it? So if we had like Marilyn Monroe being turned into one of these that do. What I'm trying to say is, do women have a right to our own likeness and to our own identity because this industry and others, I would, I would argue transgenderism as well, um, seems to be arguing that we don't have a right to our own selfhood and our own identity. It seems to me, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this too, about mm-hmm. the connection between those two uh, industries with transgenderism and the sex dolls, because it is very much just thriving on selling, um, selling women as, as parts that you can buy, whether it's, you know, the dolls for your, for your sexual gratification, or if it's, you know, sort of literally embodying the woman and self-objectifying in that way. And so I wonder, you know, how, how can we make the argument that, that women, are not intellectual property, that we are not, um, that our identities are not commodities essentially. And how would you suggest that we go about resisting this type of um, dehumanization? That's a really good question. I think both of the examples that you've given, they're very much premised on like a male dominated view of women. So it's very much, it's the femininity, it's the porn star-esque kind of um, aesthetic. It's the, the large breasts and the, the, um, the makeup and the hair and all those things that are very much sort of the heterosexual male fantasy of women. And when it's, you know, again, in both examples, it's very much this idea of like men can do it better or like the male version of female is better superior than actual women and and that's a really interesting concept I think right because it's it's not natural so somehow in in his construction of woman it's superior to let's say the woman made woman the the woman that that gives birth the the woman born woman or whatever you want to call it but the man-made woman being presented as the the ideal um uh, yeah, so I don't know. What what do you think we need to do to to push back on the sex doll industry? I mean, really, we need to acknowledge that it's not just child sex abuse dolls that are a problem. We need women to be, you know, making a making noise about this and saying, "Hey, this is not okay. We are people, not objects," and and just fighting back. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But I think even among women, or I suppose particularly liberal feminists, there's this whole push, you know, sex dolls, sex robots, it's just another sex positive endeavor and all sex is good sex and wouldn't want to kink shame and, and all of that. So we're even seeing women uh, profiting from, from these female bodied sex dolls, um, selling them and promoting them. And, you know, because I think they've seen that this is a potentially lucrative uh, industry. So they're thinking, how can we get in on this? But what they're doing is selling out women as a class, women as a whole, just so they can, as an individual, financially benefit from that. So but when you, when you say women doing this, are they are they having their own bodies made into likenesses of these dolls or are they, how are they doing this? No, they're just, they're selling sex dolls, okay. manufacturing sex dolls. So it's not them in, personally that's being uh, uniquely harmed. It's, it's just, um, you know, promoting the idea that women exist for men's sexual use. It's, 
empowering, even using the word empowering to describe producing female bodied replica women for men to fuck, you know, that's described as empowering. So, I mean, the word obviously has no meaning anymore. But yes, yeah, so there are even women who describe themselves, you know, liberal feminists who would argue that this is good and we should embrace this. And, you know, in reality, they're selling us all out because they're promoting this idea that, you know, when women are the face of, of, of these products, I mean, when women are selling them and promoting them, I mean, it undermines the notion that these are fundamentally sexist, that they're premised on the objectification of women and misogyny because there's a few women saying, I'm a woman and I'm okay with it. Mm. But really, so it does a great disservice to women who object to these, you know, misogynistic products because it undermines their arguments. But we really need women to be calling this out and not just the childlike dolls, but the ones modelled on adult women too because, you know, this this affects us. The dehumanisation of women, this idea that men's sexual entitlement is just absolute and cannot be questioned, that women can be made just replica women for men's sexual use and that this is fine and okay and no recognition that this is happening in a system of institutionalised male dominance and, you know, there are power differences between men and women and power structures and, yeah, basically we need women to to speak out and we need to be challenging this industry. Um, I want to wrap up here, but I just want to ask you um, a little bit about, you know, technological terrorism um, and if you, how you see that manifesting now and, you know, if you see uh, other parallels that are similar to the sex doll industry that you think are kind of converging into this technological terrorism. Yeah, so I write about uh, sex dolls and sex robots as a form of technological terrorism against women in the book. I talk about uh, technologies that that facilitate men's abuse and violation of women. So technologies that turn women into porn, whether that's so-called revenge porn, you know, forums where men and boys trade pornographic images of women or, you know, the deep fake technology, deep nude apps that sort of, that undress women, like virtually undress women, hidden cameras, uh, even forums uh, dedicated to upskirting or downblousing. So again, just taking women who did not consent or choose to be in pornography. I mean, that's a separate discussion, but like women who, you know, just going about their day and turning them into pornography. So I guess making the connection between between this climate where women are being, technology is being weaponized against women to degrade women and to humiliate them and to turn them into pornography and how sex dolls and sex robots kind of connect with all that. And yeah, so just, I guess, recognizing sex dolls and sex robots as, as a new form of potential terrorism against women, particularly when these products are being made in the likeness of women without their, their knowledge, without their consent, and when we know that men are using these products um, to act out their fantasies of violence and degradation and things like that. So these are being used against women. And we're also, I also cover in the book uh, the experiences of some women whose husbands or partners uh, got sex dolls and, and their experiences there and how they were distressed by that, how they felt that their partner preferred the doll to them because it was always sexually available and that if they couldn't, meet their partner's growing and ridiculous demands for sex, then they knew he would turn to the doll. So it's their experiences of feeling coerced and and compelled to have sex with their partner, knowing that they're they still don't measure up, they're not as good as the doll, they're not, you know, as as hot as the doll. It's, you know, sort of got the very pornified aesthetic. So it's all these ways that women are being harmed by dolls, like directly, not even just harmed by the existence of replica women marketed for men's on-demand sexual use, but how they in their own personal lives are being harmed and being terrorized by these products. Yeah, and it's really important to, to talk about, I think a lot of people don't really have an idea of how rapidly this industry is growing and how quickly the technology is advancing. And I am really concerned about that convergence between the AI, the deep fakes and the um, 3D printing and all of this. I mean, I've seen now where they have the equivalent of um, 
deepfake, you know, which is for video, if people don't know, deepfakes now from a single image, a video can be made. Um, it's a kind of composite where you basically superimpose someone's face over someone else for those who don't know. Um, but also that there's, I don't know exactly its name, but the deepfake audio, which is being able to replicate someone's voice um, based on audio recordings. So you're going to have all of these, these various technologies converging together to make uh, a very scary world for women where if we're just walking down the street and someone can take a photo or a recording of us, there is going to be that possibility of being turned into pornography, but even possibly in the future being turned into one of these objects without your knowledge. And I know that that sounds extreme, but um, I, it's it's where we're headed if we don't if we don't do something about this now, because the technology is advancing so quickly. Like I said, but also it's it's very lucrative, or it will be. I mean, it's getting a lot of investment. Um, I don't know if you happen to have looked into the funding behind that, but uh, when I looked into like VR pornography, the VR sector is not actually turning a profit yet uh, because it's still new. But pornography is one of the only areas in which they're seeing such quick growth. Um, so yeah, there's, there is that, sorry to keep going on, but that extent to which pornography is driving uh, these kinds of technologies as well. Uh, but you have uh, uh, an event for your book launch coming up next week, right? That's right. Next Tuesday, the 23rd. Um, so my book is published by Spinifex Press, which is Australia's leading feminist publisher publishes so many wonderful books and uh, my book will be launched by Vivian Morrigan so that's um, just like a week away so I have to prepare for that but that'll be great to have um, people come along to the online launch and and talk about that so yeah and how can people support your work well I mean you can find the book at spinifexpress.com.au um, so you can pre-order it there if you like uh, you can follow my work, the work of Collective Shout. I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter at Caitlin underscore Roper or Instagram at It's Caitlin Roper. Connect with us at Collective Shout, uh, collectiveshout.org. We're doing lots of work in this space, particularly challenging platforms that are profiting from child sex abuse dolls. We've had a few um, successful campaigns on that one, on that issue. Uh, so, yeah, if you're interested in that and wanting to find ways that you can be involved and little things that you can do to help, that would be great. We'd always love to have your support. Great. Thank you for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks so much, Genevieve. It was really good. Thanks again for tuning in. You can purchase Sex Dolls, Robots, and Woman Hating, The Case for Resistance on spinifexpress.com. And you can find Caitlin Roper on Twitter, as well as support her work through collectiveshout.org.